Well, I heard this week that they canceled Christmas in Bethlehem because of the fighting. But Christmas isn't canceled. It can never be canceled. It was a one-time event that happened over 2,000 years ago. And we still can celebrate it. I'm sorry that they won't get to do it in his birthplace, but we know that Christmas is in our hearts, right? By Jesus Christ. So this morning, if you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to be first in the, Luke, the, the, the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 22 through 38, and then we'll be in Matthew chapter 2, and uh, we'll read those. But we're going to look at the faith of the Messiah's parents, what their, what their faith required of them, to go through what they're going to go through. Have you ever gotten into a situation and you realized, I'm in over my head? That was parenting for me, okay? I could fly airplanes. I could do a lot of things. I was, had an engineering degree. I had all kinds of smarts. But parenting, I was way in over my head. Parenting is not easy. Right, Ronnie? <laughs> Parenting's not easy. Parenting rightly will never be easy, okay? It's always a job. It's always work. Rewarding work, but it's always work. Well, parenting God's way will always challenge your faith, and I think that's what uh, Mary and Joseph found out quickly after Jesus' birth. Obviously, they'd already been challenged in many ways, but because last week we talked about the faith of ordinary people. Mary and Joseph were just ordinary people, and their birth, the birth of Jesus, their son, Boy, that challenged their faith. So many things had to happen just right. Angels showed up to, to tell Joseph it was okay, that Mary hadn't cheated on him. I mean, so we took those passages and we linked them in order so you kind of understand how it would happen, how it did happen. So we could consider the challenges of their faith. Well, this day, today, I'm going to string some passages together that cover Jesus' first two years, Okay. Now, many times we hear that the Bible doesn't have very much about Jesus' childhood all the way up to age 30, and it doesn't, except this part right here where we talk about up to two years, and then when he was 12 and he went to the temple, that's the only two accounts we have of his childhood. But these are very important because, yes, Jesus was a kid, okay? He was a child, and he had some amazing things happen right after he was birthed. First of all, Luke covers some temple events, and Matthew covers the wise men and Herod. So let's, let's talk about those. In, in the progression of Jesus' first years of life, Mary and Joseph experienced some really challenges, big challenges to their faith. The faith of Jesus' parents should instruct us and inspire us to trust God more with what he has done. We should learn from them and learn that we can depend on him. So the question we're going to try to answer this morning is, how should trials to our faith help us appreciate God's salvation, because that's what it was all about, knowing that God was working out salvation. So Joseph and Mary, they faced three encounters we're going to talk about this morning that strengthened their faith in God's salvation. The first one was in the temple. Let me read Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 38. should be on the screen. We start with, And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him, Jesus, to the Lord. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice, according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. 
This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace, as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother, Mary. Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Wow, a lot going on there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these verses and we thank you for this account. And we do thank you for Mary and Joseph's faith that, that trudged on through all these surprises and amazing events surrounding their child. May we remember all of these events and the events that even have happened in our own life around and surrounded Jesus in our life. So thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So these verses will highlight the fact that Mary, Mary and Joseph had to trust God. They really weren't given much choice. These things were kind of just jumping on them. So after the 33 days that Mary had to go through for purification after having a male child, that's Old Testament law. If you want to look it up, I can give you the reference later. But this was a temple God law given by Mo or given through Moses. So after they were done with that purification part, they came up and they dedicated the firstborn, their firstborn male. Now this is a very interesting fact. This comes from the Passover in Exodus, the firstborn was spared of the children of Israel when they put blood over the doorpost. And so after that, God said, all of the firstborn males must be dedicated to me. And so they had to go up and dedicate him. And so this requirement comes from that first Passover. Christ, which is really, that's what's the fun part about it, is Christ, the Passover lamb, is being dedicated as the firstborn, just like God had the salvation of the firstborn in Egypt. So by God's providence, this temple trip connected them to two people. They went up to the temple to do all these things, offer the, the sacrifices that they had to offer. And by God's providence, because we know nothing happens by accident, by God's providence, the temple trip connected them to two persons. First, Simeon. Simeon is a holy, devout, righteous man. He's not a priest. He's not a Levite. He's not a scribe. He's not a Pharisee. He's just a man that follows God. And he's been following God for a long time. And God put his Holy Spirit on Simeon and told him, you will not die until you see the Messiah. The Spirit led Simeon to the temple that day. Just 
happen chance, right? No, there's no such thing. He led Simeon at the end of the temple course, the Holy Spirit did, and he got to see Jesus. God kept his promise to Simeon. Simeon acknowledged that the salvation of God had been seen by him. He was, he was praising God, and the plan was revealed to all people. But no, one, no one could miss this if they were looking for it. The problem was most people weren't looking for it. But Simeon knows that this Savior was not just for Israel, but from Israel for everybody. And he testifies about that in his little short praise there. That it's a light for revelation to the Gentiles. That would be us, okay? If you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. So that's us. And Simeon knew it was for all the people. The Savior came from Israel for everybody, not just the Jews. All humanity. And he knew all of the prophecies from all the way back at Abraham, who testified, the prophecy to Abraham testified about the fact that the Messiah would come for all people. He knew about those promises. He knew them well, that this Messiah would save everyone who believed in him. That's quite an amazing thing. Joseph and Mary were amazed. Probably they hadn't heard that part. You know, they're neither one like Jewish scholars. They're just ordinary people like we talked about last week. They didn't know that part probably. So they were amazed at these words. But it even really gets even more unbelievable, unbelievable because Simeon now turns to Mary and gives her some words that are going to happen in her lifetime and to her. These are amazing things, but they're also daunting things, things that you wouldn't know. Jesus will cause the fall and rise of many, Simeon said. Well, that's what happened. Jesus was on earth, and it's still happening today. His presence and his ministry will crumble the Jewish religion of the time. They will not have an answer to Jesus. And then he will raise up many servants. Many people will become servants of the Most High God under the New Covenant. We're that group of people that he talks about. The Pharisees will be dim diminished to nothing really by the resurrection. Remember how they were frantic about where's the body of Jesus and they're going to claim that he, he was the Messiah and rose from the dead and they tried to figure out some story. They paid off the guards. I mean, all of that stuff just discredited them completely. But then fishermen, <laughs> fishermen will perform miracles. He didn't say it that way, but that's what, that's what eventually happened. And this child will be opposed on many fronts as he still is today. Persecution is all over the world. He will bring division to Israel and to the world. His ministry, including his death, burial, and resurrection, will change the world and the course of history forever. There is not another figure in the world that has changed the course of man's history like Jesus Christ did. It's in the history books, whether they want to acknowledge it or not. And then Simeon gives Mary sort of a direct warning. Her heart or soul will be pierced, will be pierced with pain because of his ministry. See, Jesus' ministry will bring many choices that will be hard for Mary to bear. It will. And if you know the life of Jesus, you know it was. In the course of his ministry and salvation, the inner motives of the heart will be revealed as what he finished out with. See, even though she knew Jesus was the Messiah, because she'd been told by the angel that came and told her she was going to be pregnant, it would still be hard it would be hard to hear these words and much harder to bear. The, the heart of a mother is, is sometimes burdened with those things. And she 
Didn't really understand probably what Simeon was talking about, but it prepared her. I mean, they would, they would hear this, Joseph and Mary standing there, they would hear this amazing things, and they would accept them. They just wouldn't necessarily understand them yet. They trusted God with the birth and the marriage and the whole thing that went on we talked about last week. I mean, they trusted God to protect them and, and help them through all of that. They would definitely trust God to help what Simeon said to come true. But even before they can process what Simeon said, up comes Anna, Anna, the prophetess. Uh, she's an elderly women, widow in the temple. It, it's believed that she was probably over 105 years old because of the way the words seven years married and then 84 years as a widow. You add those, that's about 91. Thinking about 14 or 15 when she may have been able to get married and get pregnant. So she's about 105 years old. She knew of the promise of the Messiah. Maybe her and Simeon had had a conversation. I don't know how she knew, but she knew. She recognized Jesus right off, maybe because Simeon was standing there. I don't know. And she praised God's salvation. She knew he was the Savior. And then she told everybody that would listen. Everybody. Now realize she's in the women's court of the temple. That's where they are with, with Joseph and Mary and Jesus. They're in the women's court. They've been doing their their. their purification, I mean, their sacrifices and stuff. So she's in the women's court, and there's all these people there, I'm sure, and she's telling them <clears throat> about Jesus. She probably made a spectacle of herself in that court, probably gaining all kinds of attention, especially when you start talking about the redemption of Israel. That's a, that's a phrase that just in every Jewish mind rings constantly, still does today, by the way. The redemption of of Israel. She's talking about that. People may be listening, but then probably many of them just probably just ignored her as sort of an eccentric woman. You know, she's been in the temple all this time and she's just saying crazy stuff. She didn't care. She had seen the Messiah. It changed her and she didn't care what she said. She didn't care what they thought. So these encounters in the temple, in God's temple, they shed a lot more light and required more faith from Jesus' parents. Here's one example. Most Jews would not understand that God would provide salvation for the Romans. It would be just like telling a Jew today that God would save Nazis. But he does, and he has. But it would be foreign to their mind to, to, to accept that God's salvation is that broad because God can forgive any sin. Now, how did these encounters impact his parents? Would they ever have expected so much praise and so much prophecy because of this child? Probably not. Matter of fact, they were, they were obscure. They were from Nazareth. They didn't, they didn't think anybody knew him. They knew Jesus was special. Oh, this special? As with the, all inevitable events that come in our lives, parents have to face the fact that there's going to be times when things happen. So children grow up. Children move off <laughs> hopefully sometimes that's a question mark these days but children grow up they move out they move off they build their own families this is God's way this is what's supposed to happen this is a righteous life they don't have to necessarily move out of the city or the state like mine have but you know they don't have to move that far away but they do <clears throat> but that's something parents know at birth that that could happen will happen one day but you don't think about it you don't dwell on it because you don't get to enjoy the years that you have. 
They trusted God alone with the future, whatever it held for them. And we need to be that trusting, <clears throat> regardless of what the future holds, whether it's with children or not. See, we have encounters every day that test our faith. Encounters that will bring a challenge for you to seize that challenge, to take that opportunity, not to dread it. Our faith is going to grow because we are going to face those challenges. God wants us to face our fears, to face our tests, to face our calamities by trusting him. We don't have to know the solution. We just have to trust him. Because you know what? All of his endeavors, like I said earlier, it's not an accident. These things happen for a reason. All the endeavors that come in your life, all the things that God puts in your life is to increase your faith, to grow your faith, to mature your faith. How else are you going to complete his mission of taking the gospel to the world? I mean, that's why we're here. So all of us here in the church are meant to be here to grow our faith to spiritual maturity so that we may be unified and we may be able to take the gospel to the world. We need to become fully mature in Christ. Then we can face the challenges. And that's why these challenges come. That's why Joseph and Mary were faced with them. So the encounters at the temple, it gave them some new information to process. I'm, you know, I'm like, they're going, they're turning over in their heads like, what does all this mean? Maybe they asked their rabbi, I don't know. But the next encounter gave them reason to celebrate. Celebrate. Encounters with the wise men. Matthew chapter 2. So if you're using your Bible, flip over to Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1. The wise men. Let's read the passage down to verse 12 and talk about it. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for this child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the, the, after hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. So the, the temple episode was about the first 45, 40 to 45 days of Jesus' life. Um, like I said, after 33 days, they went to the temple at some point there and for their purification and their offerings. This one takes place at about the one to two year part. We don't know exact. We think it's closer to two because of what Herod asked the, 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 
the wise men and, and what he determined to do, which is our next encounter. So this is like, there are, in Bethlehem the whole time, they stayed in Bethlehem. They didn't go back to Nazareth, they stayed in Bethlehem the whole time. So yes, the wise men are not at the manger and the barn, they come later to a house. That's where they see Jesus, is a house. So I know your nativity scene's not quite correct according to the scripture, but we'll let that pass. I did hear a story this week. Some guy would set one up in his yard and he'd put his wise men all the way to the far edge of the property. And every day, he would move them one step closer. And by the time Christmas happened, which is not when they came, but they would show up. It was kind of a cute way to make it, you know, scripturally correct. But they came about two years afterwards. These wise men, they're magi is the Greek word, which means also sorcerer or astrologer. They probably came from Persia, which is what we would know today as modern Iraq. And they saw, they watched the stars, which is probably part of their pagan religion, was to watch the stars, you know, and, and see what was, the stars were saying to everybody. And they saw a new star in the western sky. And it was obviously, it was new because it probably wasn't brighter than all the others. But they knew it. They knew how to watch for the stars. And they discovered in their manuscripts a reference to Numbers 2417 about the star of Jacob. And so they immediately concluded that this was a king being born, and that was what the star represented. So they saw it in the western sky, and they headed that way. So they ride in east to west, and they came to Jerusalem. The star brought them to Jerusalem, and they stopped to talk to King Herod. Now, King Herod, he was a Roman puppet king. Uh, he had way too much autonomy, and he was very ruthless, very ruthless before even this encounter. He was not Jewish, so he technically was not king of the Jews. He was Edomian, which is a derivative of Edom, which is descendants of Esau. Now, if you don't know, follow that family tree, I'll tell you later. But basically, he was not Jewish. But they went to Herod out of kind of a diplomatic courtesy with a question. Where is the king? Where was he born? And of course, this troubled everybody, but... Herod gave them an answer, Bethlehem. But notice he had to have somebody tell him the answer because he's not Jewish. He doesn't know. He doesn't care about the Jewish prophecies. But Micah 5.2 tells us that David's son, the king, would be born in David's city, Bethlehem. Bethlehem. So Herod devises this evil plan. And we see it later in the, in the rest of the passage. We'll get to it in a minute. But he devises the evil plan. Hey, he tells the, the three wise men, the magi, hey, you go find the king. You do the searching. In his head, he was thinking, you do the searching and I'll do the killing. Because he did not want competition. He thought he would lose his power. And we'll talk about that in the next point. But the wise men took the info and started to Bethlehem. And then they were led by the star again. Now, we need to understand in verse 9, it says very clearly, it came and stopped over the house that Jesus was at. This isn't a comet moving across the sky. This isn't a, a star that just shows up every once in a while. This is a supernatural event. This is a, a light in the night sky that led these men to this place. All the comets that we know about, you go to NASA, you can look it up. All the comets that we track, they none of them would have been going through the sky at this time when you back up how many years it is when they cycle through. But I don't need that information because it stopped over the house 
not just the city. They knew where Bethlehem was. They had a map. They didn't have to Google Bethlehem. They knew where that was. Where is Jesus at, in Bethlehem? And the star stopped, and it gave them the location. So the star led them to Herod, and then Jesus, which would set up the next encounter, but that's kind of a teaser for the next point. They arrived. They saw Jesus, and he was probably one or two years old, toddling around, you know, and they bowed and they worshiped. They got on their knees and they worshiped. They gave him gifts. And as they leave, God tells them, don't go back to Herod. God intervenes to protect Jesus, and he sends them off a different way. Now, how would Joseph and Mary react to this? What would they do with such elaborate gifts? Well, in the next one, they're going to Egypt, and I'll talk about that when I get there. The wise men, they came worshiping, they came rejoicing, they came blessing them with expensive and uncharacteristic gifts. You know what? Wise people still seek Jesus. If you're really, truly wise, you will find and look for Jesus. But this would challenge any parent's faith. So what did it mean? I mean, we all think our baby's the cutest, right? And we would love that, but that's over-the-top type celebration, right? Right. So Mary and Joseph were very surprised, but why were they surprised? Well, I'm glad you asked. The only people who had noticed Jesus so far were some old shepherds out in the field in the middle of the night and two old people in the, in the temple. That's all that had praised Jesus and acknowledged him as the Messiah. And now all of a sudden, there's an entourage in the front yard of camels probably and all kinds of traveling animals and elaborate People that, you know, we say three kings because there were three gifts. We don't have any idea. There was more than one. There could have been 20. We don't know who the wise men were. But they gave more worship than we give usually. You know, maybe Mary and Joseph expected more worship from the Jews like Simeon and Anna and the shepherds, but not Gentiles. These were Gentiles. These weren't even Jewish. Gentile astrologers. It was totally unexpected. Has your encounter with Jesus caused you to worship more? I mean, what a, what a time of year. We have all kinds of lights and pretty things around to remind us that Jesus Christ was born. How has that changed your worship? Do you bow in submission to Christ? I'm not making a big deal about being on your knees, but sometimes you need to be on your knees. Do you give of yourself and your resources to honor Jesus, to honor God, to honor God incarnate, Emmanuel? I think these Persian astrologers kind of put us to shame with their worship of Jesus. It wasn't flamboyant. I'm pretty humble to bow, especially if you're a well-known astrologer back home. They went to great lengths to find Jesus. And then honored and revered him as king. That star probably showed up the day Jesus was born. It took them almost two years to get there. They went to great lengths to find Jesus. You know, sometimes we try to get by in our worship with so little activity. You know, sing a few songs. Don't sing too many songs. Don't clap your hands. Don't raise your hands. You know, we, we, we need to sit with our hands in our lap, be reserved. I think, we, I think we've stifled worship some. You know, David got real excited when they brought the ark into Jerusalem, and he danced before the Lord. I know we Baptists sometimes frown on dancing, but only because John the Baptist lost his head over it. But we, we need to get a little more active, I think, in demonstrating to the world that there is a Messiah to worship. A Savior was born, 
And we should be excited about this. Our worship, whether it's, pri- whether it's private or public worship, we need to improve it. We really do. We've kind of stifled it. We need to remember, what child is this? What child is this? So let's work at being enthusiastic over Jesus. As enthusiastic as we are over sports and hobbies and other interests, as enthusiastic as we are over Christmas gifts. I mean, you know the, the thing kids go through. They're excited to get to open Christmas presents. We need to be that excited about Jesus. I gave up golf years ago because it was ruining my, my joy. And uh, I had to learn how to play golf without it killing my joy. And it was, took a while. We need to work on our worship like that. See, Jesus stepped down from God the Son in a spirit form to be a divine human for the rest of eternity. See, he gave up a lot more than we think he... I mean, he didn't give up any power. He's still God. But he now has to exist, chooses to exist in a human body for the rest of eternity as he sits by the throne with God. He chose to do that for us. We should bend the knee to that. He wanted us to be forgiven. So we need to celebrate the way he deserves to be celebrated. So that was the encounter with the wise men, which kind of Mary and Joseph were like, okay, we, we encountered the two people in the temple, but this is really crazy. But these three prestigious men show up on our front yard. Wow. But the next encounter is not quite as joyful and educational. It's dangerous. The encounter with King Herod. Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. Let me read this to you. After they, the wise men, were gone... An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, because those who intended to kill the child are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and entered into the land of Israel. But he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father, Herod. He was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee. Then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. So as soon as these uh, wise men depart, Joseph gets a dream vision again. Take the mother and child and go to Egypt. So he does. And the angel explains why. Herod's coming to kill the child. Okay? So get out of there. When did parenting become so dangerous? So Joseph wisely gets them to Egypt. This trip 
probably around the two-year point, and it fulfills another prophecy. And that's one of the things we notice in all this danger of Herod. Prophecies are fulfilled like crazy. So a prophecy is fulfilled. God called Israel out of Egypt in the Exodus, and now he calls his true son out of Egypt, which is more parallels with the first Passover. God saves his firstborn by sending him to Egypt. And God preserves the Passover lamb by putting him in Egypt. But how do they make ends meet when they went down? I mean, Joseph's a carpenter. He'd probably find a job. But, you know, travel is not cheap. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Stuff that they didn't need. Trade it in, sell it, barter with it. Maybe Mary kept a little bit of the myrrh for later and the frankincense. But they had money. They had money. They had resources. Herod finds out that the Magi betrayed him and outwitted him, and he goes into a rage. And he orders that all the two-year-old boys be killed that were in Bethlehem. Realize Bethlehem's not a big town, so it probably wasn't a lot of kids, but one's too many. But it sounds familiar, doesn't it, if you know your Bible. In Exodus, when Pharaoh began to kill the Jewish boys, and, and all because he wanted to keep them from becoming too powerful against him. And out of that, God saves Moses. Some interesting parallels in our scripture when we pay attention to it. The rage of Herod also fulfilled a prophecy by that severe tragedy and that massacre. Rachel, Jacob's wife, was weeping for her children. The children that she lost in exile is where the prophecy comes from. That's the context of the prophecy in in the scripture in Jeremiah 31. But now it's because of a raving lunatic that she's mourning. But Herod's massacre didn't work. Matter of fact, he died not long after this massacre. He died, 4 BC, never knowing if he succeeded in killing the king that was born in Bethlehem. And once Herod the Great was dead, God told Joseph in another dream to go back to Israel, go back home, go back to Palestine. Yet when Joseph learned that Herod's son, Archelaus, was reigning, he was a little bit afraid. And it's well known that Archelaus was a very ruthless leader to the point where Rome eventually replaced him. Not long after he was king, he didn't stay there very long. So God intervened again, and Joseph had another dream vision with an angel telling him, go to Galilee. So he went to Galilee. How appropriate. Because he went to Nazareth, where they were from, where they originated. Joseph had four vision dreams to help get Jesus where God wanted him. I mean, dads, we really need a lot of help, you know? So read your Bible. We may not have a vision dream like Joseph, but read your Bible. It'll help you a lot. That's, that was free. doesn't cost you any extra. So, but he says, Matthew writes that this fulfilled uh, words spoken by prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene, but that is not a specific prophecy anywhere. And I don't think that's what Matthew meant. See, we need to understand something about Jesus' hometown, Nazareth. No one liked Nazareth. Nazareth had a bad reputation. It was, it was a, a dastardly, distru- disgusting place to most people. Anyone from there was usually treated poorly, assumed to have a poor reputation. If you go to, to uh, the Gospel of John, you'll hear Nathaniel say that. Can anything good come from Nazareth? That's kind of the attitude that everybody had in Galilee and even Palestine, that Nazareth was just not a reputable place to be from. And anybody from there you couldn't trust, you couldn't, you, you just wanted to push them out of the way. 
No one liked people from Nazareth. So naturally, Jesus is from Nazareth. And remember, he said, there'll be no faith in me in, this, in my hometown. And the encounter with Herod led to many prophecies being fulfilled. And really, none of them were joyful, but they were necessary because we need to validate God's word. God wanted to validate his word. Nazareth, Nazareth represented really the way Jesus was going to be treated. That's what the point is that Matthew's making here. Nazareth represented the way Jesus would be treated. It pointed to the prophecy that was in Isaiah 53. So if you want to turn over there, I'm going to read that chapter. I want you to hear how the Savior was treated. Because it started not at the cross. It didn't start at the trials. It didn't start in the Garden of Gethsemane. It started when he was just a two or three or four-year-old boy. By being sent to Nazareth. Starting with chapter 52, verse 13, it says, See, my servant will be successful. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted, just as many were appalled at you. His appearance was, not, was so disfigured that he did not look like a man, and his form did not resemble a human being. So he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him, for they will see what had not been told them. And they will understand what they had not heard. Chapter 53, verse 1. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the ground, dry ground. He did not have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was put on him and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment, and who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with the rich man at his death because he had not done, he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days. And by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish, he will see a light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, by righteous, my righteous servant will justify many. And he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion. And he will receive the mighty as a spoil. Because he willingly submitted to death. And was counted among the rebels. He bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. That's our Jesus that he's talking about there, the suffering servant. 
Normally we read that chapter around Easter because we talk about the death of Christ and the agony of that. But it started in Nazareth. It started before he was even 10 years old. See, Jesus was spared from Herod, but he settled in a very wretched place for his future humiliation, the death on a cross. See, when your plans are interrupted, how do you react? When they're changed, are you trusting God with the future? I mean, we have to think about this like that. They didn't plan all these things, Joseph and Mary. It just happened, and they had to react, and they had to trust God through it. When danger threatens or trials attack us or troubles erupt, do you trust God? Do you trust your Savior like Jesus' parents did? I mean, horrors run rampant in our world today. I mean, there is, you can't look at a news feed without seeing all kinds of horrors. Tragedy, calamity, fears, worries, evil, it all confronts us every day. And when we encounter these, let us remember that we have a Savior, that Jesus faced even more than we face. So we need to live out our faith victoriously. We don't need to be cowering in the corner and in in hiding in our houses. It is the season, tis the season, to stop living in fear and dread, but in love and truth. That's the way we're supposed to be living in the world because that's why we're here. Jesus came to save us to stay here to do that. Our Savior, he rose from a manger to die on a cross to rise from the dead. Hallelujah, what a Savior. So Joseph and Mary faced these three encounters. They faced it with faith that God's provision would take care of them. And we need to learn these lessons as as well. Christmas is a time to learn that. Another Christmas is here. I don't know how many you've gone through. This is my 60th. (laughs) Actually, it's my 61st to keep track. But it's here. Has your faith improved since the last one? Has your faith in God gotten stronger, more mature? How about 10 years ago? Is it stronger and more mature than it was 10 years ago? We need to stop and ask ourselves this question. Beloved, if our faith does not grow, we're wasting time. If our faith does not lead us to spiritual maturity and trusting him more, we're wasting our time. So you can start today and commit to growing your faith by spending more time in God's word, the Bible, prayer, worship, private and public. Trust God more. Start it today. If you start today, I guarantee you next Christmas will be better. Your faith will be stronger. Your spiritual maturity will have grown because you're spending time with God who sent his son for your sins. So let's take some time now and pray that our faith will mature by next Christmas, that we will do the steps and take the necessary disciplines that our faith needs to grow. Have a time of quiet prayer. If you'd like to come to the front and pray, you're welcome to do that. We pray for a minute or so, and then I'll close us out.